Karen Comer Lowe is an artist, curator, advisor, appraiser, administrator, mentor, thinker, and so much more. This Decatur, Georgia native has made connections and contributions throughout her journey that have established her as a beloved, trusted, and well-respected voice in the arts among artists and audiences alike. To put it simply, she is a force. And in this conversation, we learn about Karen Comer Lowe's art life and the moments and decisions that have guided her path. This is Arts and Ideas, and I'm Floyd Hall. Funding for this program is provided by the Fulton County Board of Commissioners. I'm Floyd Hall, and today I have the pleasure and the privilege of speaking with Karen Comer Lowe, curator, administrator, designer, thinker, um, amazing woman in her own right in many ways. Uh, Karen, how are you doing? I'm wonderful, and thank you for that dynamic introduction. <laughs> well, it's fitting. It's fitting from where I sit, and so I'm glad to have some time with you today. And one of the things that always is of interest to me um, being someone who grew up in College Park in the Atlanta area is whenever I meet someone who also grew up in Atlanta, I'm always curious about their their backstory or their Atlanta story, what neighborhood they grew up in, what high school they went to, because that feels like such an Atlanta thing that defines kind of how we how we navigate through the city and beyond. Mm-hmm. So talk about your growing up, what side of town, you know, what was your home life like? Give me some insight into that part of of your story. Okay. Well, I grew up in Decatur, in DeKalb County, and I went to Southwest DeKalb High School. That's where I graduated from. And, um, you know, as a young girl, you know, I used to love to draw. I was one of those quirky art kids without a true definition of it because I was in a black family, (laughs) if you know what that means, you know, but I used to love to draw. I would always draw. And um, I participated just through my mom just really trying to figure out, you know, how to kind of nurture my creative skills. So I was in dance and gymnastics and band. Um, I played the flute in the band. And um, I tried a lot of different things, you know, kind of growing up. Um, I have a younger brother. He's four years younger than me. And um, it was the two of us and my mom and dad. And so during the summers as a child, you know, um, you know, I was thinking through my childhood, just, you know, I don't know. I mean, because I'm going, it's normal, you know. <laughs> It's normal, but normal is different to everyone, right? So, um, you know, I started to to remember some things. So one of my memories is that as a a kid, 
my mom. Um, I would stay home during the day because my dad worked nights. So my, uh, my dad would be home. And then my cousin was coming over this one summer, and we're we're the same age. And so, you know, it's just the two of us trying to figure out what to do. So one day we thought, why don't we draw some posters and sell them? So, you know, I always had paper and poster board around because I drew a lot. So we drew Peanuts characters. We came up with this big idea. We were maybe seven, eight. But we were trying to get some candy money. So um, we drew Peanuts characters, and then we went door to door selling the, the posters for like 50 cents, you know, something like that. And then at the end of it all, when we sold them all, we had our candy money. And, you know, I went back, we went back home and told my dad, look at what we got. And he goes, where'd you get that money? <laughs> you know, and it's like we sold posters. And so, um, you know, I think about that, and I was like, well, maybe that was, you know, kind of an early inkling of me being interested in the art world, you know, selling some art, right? I mean, um, talk about, you know, have, that's probably what one of your, your earliest art sales right there. Right, right, right. Art I made, right? And people will never see that now, right? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. So, um you know, outside of that, I think my childhood was pretty typical. You know, I was, um, I grew up with both my parents and my brother. We were always with family, like all of my family's here, meaning my, my grandparents, my cousins, you know, everyone is pretty much here, even now. And so I was always surrounded by family, you know, for holidays, we go to one, you know, a cousin's house or an aunt's house or someone's house, but it's always been family and, and family is very important to me. So, you know, I think I'm fortunate in that I grew up surrounded by love. As you were thinking about your, your creative pursuits, um, you mentioned playing the flute, but also you mentioned that you were drawing at a very early age. Talk about your, your creativity in, in, in high school. And I guess how that, maybe provided a bit of a platform for you to begin to study art when you went to college? Well, you know, um, in high school, it was all about the clothes. Let's just be clear. <laughs> so, you know, me and my girlfriends, we, we, we thought, you know, you couldn't tell us anything about our clothes. And we would really try to, you know, top the others, meaning that, you know, if I bought a T-shirt, I had to embellish it. I couldn't just wear the T-shirt, you know. And so it was embellishing, embellishment with buttons or zippers or safety pins or, you know, any kind of way that we could stand out. You know, that was the most important to us. And when I think about that time, because that was just something that we just did, you know, it, it didn't have a name or anything, but you know, that's my creativity. That's how I would nurture the creativity, you know, because I was always looking at fashion and for, you know, looking to see what the popular trends were, you know, through the Vogue magazines or the Elle magazines. And this was in high school. And I'm cutting out pictures all the time of things that I like, and then I'm buying things and trying to embellish them to make them a bit more fashionable or fashion forward in that way. 
So that was a big part of my um, childhood growing up, you know. And so the flute, I played the flute, but let me be clear, it was not in the Southwest DeKalb band. I transferred to Southwest DeKalb. That's where I graduated from. So I was in the band at Cedar Grove High School. That's real Decatur. (laughs) So um, I was in the band there. But when I transferred over to Southwest DeKalb, um, I didn't play an instrument. I had stopped playing the band at that time. And like I said before, you know, I was trying a lot of different things. Now, the one thing that really left an impression on me when I was there at Southwest Cab was I took an art class. And I really, I loved that art class because we were in there making things, you know, drawing and doing all kinds of things. So that art class really made a big impact on me. Um, and that's part of the reason why I chose to choose an art major when I went to college was because of that class in high school. Because it was just the one class that I loved, and I couldn't say that about a lot of the other classes, you know. So take me through your your art journey, I guess, um, at Howard where you went to school, but maybe even just after that, because I feel like you got some amazing experiences um, at a very early age. And, you know, I, I would love for you to maybe walk through you know, what you got out of these these moments at the National Portrait Gallery or at the Whitney Museum and sort of what what kind of impression those places and those opportunities um, made on you, but also, you know, wanting to highlight the, you know, the richness of, of being um, at Howard and, and what that meant to you as well. So maybe walk us through how you began to collect these experiences in your art journey. Yeah, so, you know, I um, left home and went to Howard University to study commercial art. That was what I thought I was going to do, not really knowing what that meant, you know. Um, So I go in and um, I took an art class, a drawing class with um, Dr. Lila Asher. She was my drawing teacher. And that was the class that made the biggest impression on me because, Prior to going to Howard, I thought I could really draw because, <laughs> like I said, I love to draw. But um, being in that class, I realized that I wasn't as good as I thought I was in comparison to the people who were around me. You know, when you're in a drawing class, you have easels and you have your drawing paper up on the easel. So you can see what the person next to you are doing. And um, that was the class that really made me think, okay, I like the art, but what else can I do, you know, and started to explore those possibilities. Like, I didn't know what art history was, you know, prior to going to Howard. And it was through talking to my advisor while at school and um, taking classes that I started to explore art history classes and learn about these different times throughout art, through these classes. But all of this was given to me at Howard as a student. You know, this wasn't something I came there knowing. Um, You know, that experience, you know, because Dr. 
I'm blanking out on his name. How am I blanking out on his name? Jeff Donaldson. That's him. Jeff Donaldson was the chair of the department when I was there. And um, for any of you who may know that name, you know, he's part of Afro-Cobra. And so it was, you know, just really trying to learn about art history and the important people in art. You know, like we had um, um, David Driscoll came in and he taught a class. And, you know, it was my friend saying, you need to take this class, Karen, not me knowing. You know what I mean? So it was those kinds of just kind of being around the right people who would inform me and kind of help me along the way. And um, that's what Howard you know, really, really provided for me. Now, the National Portrait Gallery, that was another friend saying, hey, there's this job at um, the National Portrait Gallery. We should try. So we both applied for it and we got it. And it was a paid gig, you know, it was a paid part-time job. And so we were educational aides. Um, that was during, I think, my junior junior year. We were educational aides, and it was a part-time job, and we would go in, and basically for that job, we were going out in the community into, like, you know, um, senior homes and schools and places like that and doing plays, <laughs> plays that kind of related to some of the portraits that were in the museum. So... Um, that was really a cool experience as I was able to meet, you know, other students from other universities in the D.C. area doing that job. But while I was there, you know, the National Portrait Gallery is connected to the Museum of American Art. So when we had our breaks, I would always walk over to the other side to see art, you know. And so I was able to see, you know, Romer Bearden for the first time in person and, um, you know, so, so many other important artists works in person, you know, that I was learning about while at Howard. And so that was really one of the favorite um, parts of being at the National Portrait Gallery was being able to walk over to the other side to see the art that was on view at the time. What does that do for you? You know, just having that type of access, you know, um, as an art history student, as someone who is, you know, obviously immersed in the arts, but how did, how did that experience at that time for you shape you or even inform how you would begin to think about art and your place in the arts, you know, ecosystem? You know, the one thing that I can say that I think it it did for me really was to teach me how to see art, you know, because, again, I was on the National Portrait Gallery site. So at that time in the National Portrait Gallery, it was um, more so traditional portraiture. Well, I can't even say that. But, you know, of course, you had the president's portraits that are always there. And they would bring in temporary shows. And so 
you know, it really taught me how to see art, to see the possibilities of what art can be, if that makes any sense. It taught me of, you know, what quality art looks like. You know, it kind of informed my taste in art, for lack of a better word. Um, it was a privilege. It really, really was a privilege. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like being in that type of environment. And, you know, D.C. has plenty of of art galleries and, you know, art institutions in general. So, you know, that's that's given but i feel like as a supplement to your education you know what you're learning in the classroom or in the studio spaces um at howard it just feels like those additional experiences really provided a, a, a solid foundation on top of it you know an already solid foundation um mm -hmm. that I, I think is is pretty rare to me is just from what it sounds like I never thought about it as being rare, but what I, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, while I was in college and when I started this job, you know, my grandmother, you know, my parents, of course, are bragging, you know, Karen's working at the Smithsonian, you know. <laughs> and so that was really a big deal to to one of my grandmothers. And so she subscribed to Smithsonian Magazine. She bought me a subscription to Smithsonian Magazine, and she was so proud, you know to be able to say that her granddaughter was working at the Smithsonian, you know? <laughs> um, but it was, it was irreplaceable. It's something that I hold dear to me, that experience, um, because it wasn't something that I worked hard for. You know, it was just kind of like, hey, this is part-time job. It's like, and then we both just like, hey, let's do this you know, tried to say, hey, let's see if we can get in, you know. So it was kind of like one of those kind of flukes, for lack of, lack of a better word. And we got in there, and I just, I was able to really, really soak it in and learn a lot. And I've made some beautiful relationships, you know, with, with some of the adults who work there, you know, because at the time, I was a college student being a little, you know, young black girl at Howard University. So when you would go into the museum settings, if there was a an African-American black, you know, a black person on staff, like they would kind of pull you aside and, and give you some tips, you know, every now and then, you know, just kind of talk to you about professionalism and you know, careers and things like that. So th those kinds of relationships were also happening at the time. And then you mentioned the Whitney Museum. So that happened after I graduated. Like when I left Howard, I went to New York to the Whitney and worked there for that summer. And I'll say the contrast from the art at the Whitney from what was in the National Portrait Gallery was like day and night. You know, and a lot of what I saw, I didn't understand at the time. You know, this is conceptual art at the height of conception, you know. And so I would ask questions like, how is that art? You know, because, again, I'm coming from the National Portrait Gallery and the Museum of American Art, you know, which are mostly paintings and photography. And now I'm walking into installations of teddy bears 
and chocolate that an artist bit off in pieces and that's presented as art, you know? And so that again was um, just a, a big education for me because I was looking like, okay, what is that? How is that art? And anything that I would ask that kind of question about, they would make me research it. <laughs> so they said, okay, you know, this piece is by Mike Kelly, and you can go down in a resource center and find the books and write, you know, she would give me writing assignments about each of the artists that I questioned. And so th- that, again, was further education. Um, when I was at the Whitney, that was my first introduction to Basquiat. So, you know, when I first saw Basquiat, I thought, what in the world is that? <laughs> it wasn't this, ooh, I love it, you know. It was just kind of like, wait a minute. That interrupts everything that I've learned before about what a painting is, you know. So... That experience, you know, those experiences really, really did inform the way that I think about art now, even today. And so with with those opportunities as a bit of a backdrop for you and a bit of a springboard, obviously, um, when did you know what would be next for you or what were you looking for next? And I guess where did you feel like like you were where you were best suited to to be or what your next um, place would would be? Like, how how did you sort of make that the determination of the next thing for you after that? There was no determination because when I was in New York, I was determined to stay. I wanted to stay. I didn't want to leave, you know. And, you know, I couldn't afford to stay. And I was trying to make it happen some sort of way, you know. Um, I was offered a job at the, um, what was that job? It was at the Museum of Modern Art, but it only offered, it was $16,000 a year. Like, what are you going to do in New York with that? You know what I mean? So I was never, I I don't think I was given the opportunity, because I wanted to stay, and I was prepared to sleep on a friend's couch until I could find something, you know, to kind of sustain myself. And my mother said, you're not sleeping on anybody's couches. You don't have to come home. You know, she was dead set against that. And so that's when I came back to Atlanta, when I couldn't find a job that would pay me enough to have an apartment or, even, you know, an apartment even with five roommates. <laughs> I couldn't afford it, you know. So that's when I came back to Atlanta to try to figure out what was next for me. Just staying right there for a second and and even hearing you talk through your experience um, in trying to stay, because what, what that sounds like to me is a very real world, very realistic um, experience for lots of people that sometimes makes it feel like the art world, especially at those higher levels, can be very exclusive, can be very limiting for people who don't already come from a place of of privilege already. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because to your point, who can afford to stay in New York for $16,000 a year, you know, $30,000 a year? Like it's just, it's very difficult to, to, you know, be able to make that happen. So I guess, how did that shape your, I don't know, your perception of, of not the gatekeeping that kind of can be prevalent in the arts community, but I guess just like that, that, that level of, of staying and who gets to stay and be in that space. Did that really, you know, inform any of your, your thoughts about that? You know, at the time, because I was going through it, I didn't even think about it. You know, I was just trying to figure out how to get that museum job. So when I came back to Atlanta, I still had a connection um, at the Smithsonian. And she was in the HR department of, and I can't remember exactly which museum, but she was in the HR department of one of the Smithsonian museums. And she would always send me jobs. You know, she was really looking out for me because I developed that relationship as a student. And she was sending me jobs, you know, that I could apply for um, in the museums there. And I'm trying to remember what was my first um, full-time museum job. Yeah, I definitely. So my first museum, you know, while I'm looking for a job, my first full-time museum job was at the Museum of African American Art in Tampa, Florida. So, you know, because while I was here in Atlanta, I worked part-time. I, I could find part-time work. I was with um, um, some of the temp agencies and things like that. But then I was able to get the job in Tampa at the Museum of African American Art as a museum educator. So I moved to Tampa to explore that opportunity. And that was really an interesting opportunity. You know, it's an African American museum. Everybody in the museum, you know, was black. (laughs) And um, they had the Barnett Aiden collection, which was a historic collection that Howard University used to have in their archives. Somehow they were able to have that as a permanent collection for the museum. And um, I was able to do a lot there because when I got in there, there was no curator, but they brought me into as the museum educator but because there was no curator, I would also curate, you know, and my colleague who brought the job to me, he was um, a student at Howard with me, Rodney, I'm blanking out on Rodney's last name, but he and I, while we were there, we would do the curate the exhibitions and create the educational programs. We were both doing that together. And, you know, and I didn't stay there long. I stayed there a year exactly. I think it was a year. <laughs> now, in that in that year, were you, you know, were you still trying to get back to New York or were you trying to get back to Atlanta? What were you eyeing as your next opportunity, you know, in the arts or, you know, just in life, I would say? Yeah, no, I was I was happy with being there. You know, I was just happy that I found a job in a museum because that's what I really wanted, right? And so 
you know, even though it wasn't a perfect setting in that I didn't go into an established museum where, you know, all of the practices were in place, you know, they were really developing what that museum would be, you know. And so we were young and hungry, and we were able to go in there and kind of make it be what we thought it should be. You know, we were working with that permanent collection. Um, I was able to curate shows. It was mostly of local artists, you know, at that time. We were work curating shows of the permanent collection and local artists. You know, um, the Florida Highwaymen came across us, and I was able to curate a show of their work, you know. And... um there were some other artists that came through, you know, that I was, you know, just really kind of exploring that community in Tampa and in Orlando. And we were able to kind of put some interesting exhibits together. I think we did pretty good. But um, from there, I moved, I think I moved back to Atlanta from there. I did. I moved back to Atlanta, but that was due to a relationship of, of a man who eventually became my husband at the time. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it wasn't for a job, it was for a man. <laughs> <laughs> understood, understood. Um, I've always fancied you as someone who's sort of been in the right place at the right time, at least in Atlanta. Whether we're talking about, um, you know, your connection with Mildred Thompson, or or being at the city of Atlanta, um, being curated there. I feel like you you've always been again, like in the right places at the right times and met the right people, whether it be through serendipity or, you know, on purpose. And I guess um I've appreciated your perspective in all of these different moments that we've had a chance to cross paths in because of that. Um, so I, I guess I'm wondering at this point, you know, as you've you had multiple curator jobs, you know, you've managed to guide your career in a very certain type of way. Um, when you when you left, I guess, um, city government and you began to put all of what you learned together into creating your own advisory what was that decision like for you? When did you know that it was the right time for that for you? You know, that really, that happened. I left before I had the idea to start the business, you know. And um, I left because I had a second child at the time and I wanted to spend more time with him. And for don't know how long that was you know maybe a year or a little less but I was just home I was home with, with my baby and um, really kind of enjoying that for a time you know just kind of immersed in that and then I started to miss working in the arts you know just kind of started to miss aspects of the arts and being there and so I, trying to remember how this happened, but somehow I was connected with Annette Cone Skelton. 
And so, you know, she's over at Mocha GA and she started Mocha GA. But prior to Mocha GA, Annette was an art consultant. So I met with Annette and talked to her about what I wanted to do, starting this consultancy. And she was still consulting at the time. And so she took me under her wing and basically taught me how to consult, you know, have a consultancy. So I worked with her on a few jobs. She would hire me to assist her, basically. And that's the way that I would learn kind of how to move um, with the art consultancy business. And so after doing a few jobs for her, I sent out a letter to everyone. This is before we were emailing and Instagramming and everything. So I wrote letters to everyone that I knew to say, I started this business, Coma Art Advisory, you know, and basically to introduce myself as that. And, um, you know, it built slowly. Like for the first few years, I was mostly consulting. You know, I had people who would call me, like the National Black Arts Festival, they always called me to do something. And um, Fulton County Arts Council, you know, I was doing things like that every now and then because I had a website and everything. Like I built a presence online. Um, Every now and then I would get someone to call me uh, for Coma Art Advisory business, you know, and that, that built slowly. But one thing that definitely happened when I had the consultancy business, people were calling me and asking me if I could appraise some art for them. And after I kept getting these requests, I decided I needed to add that onto the services that I offered. So I went and took the classes and got my certification to offer appraisals. And then I started doing the art appraisals as part of the Coma Art Advisory business. I feel like, you know, you're in this space where you've done almost everything in the arts, you know, from from selling your work at seven uh, um, to <laughs> to um, you know working uh, in some of the most you know interesting and important institutions in the arts and working in in city government as well. Thinking back through that sort of journey of yours, what would you say, or maybe one of you know maybe I would say one or two decisions of yours that you felt were really pivotal for you, like, you know, going left or versus going right. What do you, what would you name as maybe one of those decisions that really impacted how you got to be where you are right now? I would say definitely starting the consultancy business, you know, it was, it was hard. It was hard. I think I had one expectation and the world kind of told me that I should have another You know, in that, I just thought because I had these established relationships with all these different kinds of people, races and everything, of people, that that's who my customer base would be with the business. And it turned out not to be. You know, um, really, I was mostly working with African-American people when when I had my consultancy business. 
And I just think that's just the way that it goes. You know, I'm a black woman, so people expect for me to know, you know, um, be the expert in black art. And so that's what that business turned out to be. Even, you know, with my, even when I started doing appraisals, you know, the majority of the people that hired me to appraise their collections or their pieces of art were black people. And so I think that developing that business was a really important decision because I was able to prove to myself that I could do this. You know what I mean? Like I was able to kind of put a program together that was mine, a business, and really make it work for a time. And I really, I built some great relationships through that business. You know, I was able to go into some homes and and really develop relationships with people that I otherwise would not have met. So as you look at at yourself, you know, as you think through your past experiences, those decisions, like you just mentioned, um, as you look forward, I guess, or I guess as we stand now, but looking forward, how do you see yourself, you know, as mm-hmm. an arts professional, as an artist still in many ways? Um, how do you define yourself when you walk through these art spaces, or I guess, how, how do you want to be, um, how do you want people to, to understand who you are and what you do? You know, I've looked at that question for so long, trying to think through that, because that's a big one. Um, and I really don't know how to answer that question per se. You know, what I will say is, I'm passionate about the arts. I think that's obvious to anyone who knows me, you know. Um, I think artists are storytellers who can inform and shift the perspectives of the viewer. And I love to be amazed by what artists create, you know, and that's in visual art, music, design, theater. Like, I just, um, my expectations are always, defied by someone who's made something that I never expected or even knew that existed. You know what I mean? So I love art for that. Um, I, I think when someone sees me, I just, I want them to see me as the professional who can lead and grow an institution and who can raise the profile of it. You know, I think through my relationships that I can really present dynamic programming that people will want to see. I think that you have continued to to do that. I think that through your programming you know, at Chastain and some of your other endeavors, I feel like you, you know, you are, you've always shown up in that type of way where there's a certain level of quality and taste, if you will, around what you uh, present. And I feel like 
that's why so many people respect you and and want to work with you and want to you know acknowledge all the amazing things that you do and i guess you know i know i've talked to other people and you are a mentor to many other artists and arts folks in atlanta and beyond so i think that um you've had a a definite impact on other arts careers through your walk and with that being said i guess um as you become a bit of a mentor to others um do you have any favorite mentors of yours that you would like to acknowledge just as we think about that continuum of passing it on and paying it forward? Yeah, you know, um, unfortunately, my favorite mentors, both of them have passed away, but they've made a big impact on who I am today. You know, um, the first would be Dr. Tritobia Benjamin. She was at Howard University when I was there, and she taught African-American art. And Dr. Benjamin, you know, after I left Howard, first of all, her class was one of the hardest classes I had ever taken. (laughs) But it was really my introduction to African-American art and what that is. And it informed me highly on, you know, the knowledge of who the artists are and what the pieces are that they've made that are significant. Um, but Dr. Tritobia Benjamin definitely should be acknowledged. And then Claudine Brown, I met her when I was pursuing my master's degree at Bank Street College, and she was one of the most amazing women I've ever seen um, in that she was just on top of her game, you know, and she was open to sharing what she knew, which was something that I found incredible. I couldn't believe that she was willing to share what she knew with me. And so she was a she made a big big impact on me. I mean, she really did. I learned so much from her. So as we wrap up, I always like to ask people, this is kind of a sort of tangential conversation or question, but I love asking people about words because I think words are just interesting parts of how we communicate. Do you have a favorite word um, or favorite words that just always make you smile or just maybe make you think about life differently or or have always sort of meant anything to you in particular? You know, do you have a favorite word? I can't say those words <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, understood. <laughs> understood. I'll leave all of our audience members, those who listen to that, to leave it up to their imagination to, to figure <laughs> out what, what any of those words could be. Um, but that's a great place to to end the conversation. Um, Karen Comer Lowe, um, thank you for your time. So glad that we've had this time together for this conversation. And again, just I'm appreciative for for you and all that you've done. So thank you. Thank you so much, Floyd. And if I could, can I promote my current program? I would love that. Most um, certainly. Okay. Creative Conversations. I'm having conversations with contemporary artists. And I do this on my Instagram page, which is KCLO Artsy. And so I've been able to speak with, the last one was Hank Willis Thomas, which was so much fun. And I, my next one coming up will be Fahamu Piku. So these are casual conversations that I'm having 
with artists within the African diaspora about their practice. Amazing. And I will make sure to post um, a link to your Instagram page in the description of this conversation so folks can can click to it uh, from there. And um, yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. And hopefully everyone who listens to this will go check out those conversations. And again, just experience all that you are continuing to, to curate both in the real world, but also in this digital space um, for uh, these days and times. So Karen Comer Lowe, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Floyd. It's been a pleasure.